Welcome to the First Pres Podcast, which features the message from this past Sunday's worship. If you'd like to worship with us in person, our services are Sunday mornings at 8.20, 9.45, and 11.10. You can learn more about First Pres at www.first-pres.org. Amen. You may be seated. And as you are, I encourage you to open your Bibles or pick up the Bible on the pew rack in front of you as we turn to Acts chapter 13 this morning, continuing in our series, Way of Life, studying the sermons of Peter and of Paul. We move now forward to Acts chapter 13 and the first sermon of Paul, Acts chapter 13, verses 16 through 33. Hear now the word of the Lord. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, fellow Israelites, And you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of that country. For about 40 years, he endured their conduct in the wilderness, and he overthrew seven nations in Canaan, giving their land to his people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel, the prophet. Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. From this man's descendants... God has brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. As John was completing his work, he said, who do you suppose I am? I am not the one you are looking for, but there is one coming after me whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Fellow children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus, yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. We tell you the good news. What God promised our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us, their children by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son today. I have become your father. Lord, we thank you for your word and we pray that you would help us to hear your word and apply it, that we might know and trust that you have called us home to be children of the living God. In Jesus' name, amen. So friends, it isn't have to 
It's get to. But we have to remind ourselves of that sometimes, don't we? You don't have to go to the parent-teacher orientation at the elementary school. You get to be a part of a wonderful educational community that's raising our kids, right? You don't have to go to that uh, family reunion, that family event, that anniversary or, or dinner with your family. No, you get to be a part of a great family. You don't have to go to the polls in November and select from one of these fine candidates to be the next president of the United States, right? You, you get to. Remember, you get to. You get to be part of the greatest experiment in democracy the world has ever seen. The last chapter of it, anyway. Some people at the first service didn't think that was very funny. <laughs> I have every confidence the Lord has big plans for, for our nation. We get to be a part of it. How about church? Is it get to or is it have to? Raise your hand if you have to be at church this morning. No, don't, don't, don't raise your hand. <laughs> no, no, no. Church, church isn't have to. Church is get to. We get to be part of the story. We get to be in the body of Christ. We get to be the people of God. Uh, even as we get together this morning, we were all worried about the, uh, the Broncos game today. As a staff, we were saying, you know, will anybody turn out? I know that in this service, you all backed into your parking spaces and <laughs> the, the car is running outside. Uh, we thought... Uh, who will, who will show up? Should we even have church? I have to admit, the 11 o'clock game time is new for me. That's a mountain time thing. So we didn't know what to do. I, I suggested to the choir, why don't we move everything an, earl, an hour earlier, you know? And the first service could be at 7.20 a.m. And I said, but you can all wear Broncos jerseys. And they said, and you better wear a Broncos helmet. <laughs> No, but we decided, let's worship. We just need to teach our people the joy of the divine dispensation called the DVR. <laughs> the Lord said, let there be DVRs across the land, and the people of God hitteth record all. <laughs> and they never satteth through another commercial, and they never missed a game. No, I, I'm... Uh, I'm excited about the Broncos myself. And the reason is uh, I'm excited about Trevor Simeon. It's one of the reasons. There he is. It's Trevor Simeon, the quarterback who worked his way into the job. He comes from my college, Northwestern University, famous for creating all the best NFL quarterbacks. <laughs> but I was thinking about Trevor Simeon this week. You know, I was thinking about what it must be like to pull up to Broncos Stadium for the first time and to walk through the door that only players walk through and to walk into the, the locker room that only players walk into and to see for the first time a, a locker with your name written across the top of it and to pull off of a hanger a Denver Broncos jersey you know, that has your name 
on the back of it. What must that have been like to pull those colors over his head for the first time? I think about that and how his story, Trevor Simeon's story, which he knows all the twists and turns of his small story of being Trevor. Now that story is wrapped up into a greater story, a larger story called the Denver Broncos. And and he gets to wear those colors. It must feel amazing. And I feel the same way about First Press. And I hope you do too. We get to be part of a a larger story. We get to wear grander colors because God has called us to be part of the people of God. For 144 years, First Pres has been used of the Lord to write beautiful kingdom stories, amazing stories of grace and of life, amazing victories for the grace of God. And we get to join in that story. Our little stories of our lives get to be part of a, a bigger story, bigger than any one of us could possibly write, grander, larger we get to wear bigger colors. And in 100 years from now, which story will be more important? 100 years from now, in fact, I bet 10 years from now, nobody will be talking about the 2016 season of the Denver Broncos. Maybe. But 100 years from now, friends, there will be people who talk about the church in our generation. There will be stories told about what God did through the church in our time, in our generation. There will be stories told about this generation at First Pres, the generation that, that preserved the truth of the gospel from cultural confusion and resolved to present the good news of Jesus until it was heard as a blessing by the people. A generation that started City Serve and changed the reputation of Christianity in our city. The generation that altered the course of homelessness in Colorado Springs. The generation that imagined a coffee shop as a ministry and pulled it off. The generation that broke new ground for worshiping passionately week by week in the heart of the city and came to lift the name of the Lord, even when it meant driving straight through a marathon. (laughs) The stories of faithfulness will be told and we get to be a part of that. But you know what? Even bigger than any of that, even more eternally significant is that we get to be used by God to in our generation to reach the lost. Even bigger than any of these stories is that God intends to use first prayers right now in this generation to seek and to save lost souls, souls who are in darkness, to move eternal souls from a place of of darkness and death and despair to a destiny of salvation and life and joy. Right now, right now there's a a family struggling somewhere nearby. 
There's a family right now sitting around the kitchen table talking to one another, trying to figure out how did we get here? How did our story even get here? And when will our story make sense? And that family, maybe today, maybe this week, maybe very soon, they'll come to a crisis. Because life in this world includes crisis. It'll come to a crisis so large, so earth-shaking, that all of their foundations will tremble. And one of them will turn to the other and say, why don't we try church again? Why don't we seek the Lord? And together they will come, maybe next week, maybe the week after that, and they're going to walk right through those doors. And they're going to walk into this room nervous and uncomfortable, but hopeful. And the light of Christ is going to break out over them. And they will know the joy of the grace of God and the forgiveness of God moving into their life. And they'll feel their feet on foundations that they've never felt before. And they will no longer be alone. They will be part of the family of God. And we get to be a part of that. We get to be a part of that eternal story. We get to be the people of God. Does it move you? Will you pray for that? Paul is our preacher this morning. We've... We look at his very first sermon as his ministry begins. His message is just this. You get to be part of the people of God. This is your story, he says. This is your story if you will accept it. And Paul knows this because his own story was radically changed. He grew up with a great story He was known as Saul of Tarsus. And Saul of Tarsus was a success story. He was born with resources and Roman citizenship and access to education, and he was smart. He was the smartest in his class. And so he was the one who was sent off to the great universities. He studied with the rabbi Gamaliel. His education was equal to multiple PhDs in our time. Saul operated in four or five different languages, and a study of his writings reveals that he could write in different motifs. He could write letters to match the epistolary style of the Roman Senate. He could write legal briefs to match any rhetorician or lawyer. He could write religious articles and journal entries to match the greatest theologians. He could write sermons, speeches, news reports, blogs, (laughs) if he could have, he would have, (laughs) you name it. Saul was one of the brightest lights on the Christmas tree, sharpest knife in the drawer. But you know what? He was using all that talent and all of that energy to try to destroy the Jesus movement. He ran around persecuting Christians, dragging them out of their homes, even overseeing some executions until, until Jesus knocked him off of his horse, literally, and said, now Saul, stop it. (laughs) You work for me now. 
and he was given a new name. And this man named Paul we now find in the far reaches of the known world. It's as though Paul wanted to get as far away from that that prior life as he could. But now his gifts, his talents, his smarts, all of that story now gets wrapped up and folded in to the story of Jesus, the story of the people of God. So this sermon is at a city called Pisidian Antioch. It's a a high elevation city on a mountain plateau. It's on a very important trade route and it's a city filled with Roman army veterans, the local people called Phrygians, Greeks, Easterners, and some Jews scattered far from home. And Paul went to that city and he went to the synagogue And he knew the traditions and the practices. And he prepared his remarks. And he stood up in the proper way with the proper motions, the proper gestures. And he preached. And as few men could, Paul articulated the whole of God's redemptive plan. He summarized all of God's plan of of salvation from Abraham to David to Jesus. He shared the big, big story. And do you know it this morning? It goes something like this. God made the world and all of us in it in love to be in a joyful relationship and communion with him. But we, by our disobedience and sin, we turned from God and we, we brought darkness and spiritual confusion and death into the world. But God didn't give up. God reached out and grabbed a few people to make them his own, namely the descendants of Abraham. He made a covenant with Abraham and all who would come from him and he held this people close and prepared them to send his son through them to be the salvation of us all. God grabbed a group of people, you see, The image I get is like God reaching in uh, to that and grabbing a puppy out of the litter and taking it home and washing it off and making it his own. But maybe a closer image is it's as though God grabbed a, a wolf out of the wild pack. And even though it would kick and, and bite and scratch and, and moan, He held it close and he loved it and he carried it toward him and he retrained it and he reformed its heart. And isn't that like how God has pulled you into his loving grace? But his plan all along was not just to save one wolf. His plan was to send this wolf, this reformed and retrained wolf with a new heart and a new vision back out to save the rest of the the pack, if you will. It was always God's intent to bless all nations and to have his light of salvation shed on all people. Isaiah knew it, and he wrote about the coming ministry of Jesus in this way years prior. In Isaiah 49, it says, It is too small a thing for you, that's the Messiah he's talking about, for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. You see, Isaiah knew, and and now Paul preaches, and we understand 
that Jesus was not sent only to redeem the genetic descendants of Abraham. Jesus was sent to blow the whole operation wide open. That all would see the light of salvation. That all who call on his name would be saved. That all who walk toward Jesus and know his grace from every nation, every people, every family, even to the ends of the earth. Because of Jesus, you get to be a part of the people of God. Uh, Look again at how Paul explains it. Verse 16, he says, standing up, Paul motioned with his hand. Then he said, fellow Israelites, you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. You see, Paul is talking to his fellow insiders, fellow Israelites, but then he's also talking to you Gentiles who worship God. And later down, he says, fellow children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles in verse 26. Fellow children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles who've come seeking something, It is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. Now, do you follow? It is to us. Not just this group, not just the insiders, but all of you who have come seeking. It is to us together that this message of salvation has been sent. Anybody who seeks can find. It is for you. It is for all y'all. Can you say all y'all with me? All y'all, we're ready, we're ready. You can go anywhere in the South with that. Friends, that's the us. So Paul concludes in verses 32 and 33, we tell you the good news. What God promised our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. Do you get the profound shift here? Paul, defender of the inheritance of the children of Abraham. Paul, the staunch persecutor of the Christian message. Paul, who worked with all of his might to keep sinners out of the fold of God's special sheep. Paul, who walked the walls and the ramparts, keeping the outsiders away and the insiders protected. Paul, he stands up and now he says, you and you and you and you and you and you, all of us, all of this has been fulfilled for you and any who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. No matter your background, no matter where you've come, no matter what you've done up till now, all who seek the Lord in the name of Jesus will be saved. It is for us all. We get to be a part of the people of God. You get to be part of the story. While we live in an individualistic society and as we elevate the way of life in Christ, we find it bumping against the alternative ways of life that come in at us from the world and we know, we know we're, we're individualists. The great New Testament scholar Tom Wright wrote, we have been so soaked in the individualism of modern Western culture that we feel threatened by the idea of our primary identity being that of the family we belong to. He refers to the church as a family, you see. 
especially when the family in question is so large, stretching across space and time. The church isn't simply a collection of isolated individuals. If you walked away this morning with one thing, it would be this. The church isn't a collection of isolated individuals, all following their own pathways of spiritual growth without much reference to one another. The church is the single multi-ethnic family promised by the creator God to Abraham. It was brought into being through Israel's Messiah, Jesus. It was energized by God's spirit And it was called to bring the transformative news of God's rescuing justice to the whole creation. You and I were rugged individualists. It isn't we, it's me. We are trained in self-determination and self-sufficiency. I don't know this we, it's up to me to prove myself. It's up to me to determine the meaning of my existence. It's up to me to justify who I am and what I'm doing. It's up to me to achieve success, to fulfill my greatest potential, to write my story. It's up to me. There's no pressure like the pressure of self-determination. It's all up to me to make my life mean something. And my generation, you know, we feel it. Not to say that prior generations don't, or other generations, younger generations, but in my generation, uh, we got the message that you're not like the past generations who had to suffer and endure hardship. We've handed you everything on a silver platter. You're the generation that grew up uh, with arcades and slushies and air conditioning and Nintendo games. And I say, amen. But along with all of that, everything we've handed you on a silver platter is the unspoken pressure. Now, what are you going to do with that? Can you write your own story? It had better be good. Have you ever felt that pressure? Have you ever felt that it's on your shoulders to make something of your life? Then just come in, come in and sit down. God has a place for you here in the household of God, in his family. No pressure, no pressure, no performance anxiety. He's not waiting for you to prove yourself, to offer you his love. Just come in and rest, fumble with the bulletin, wrestle with the kids, spill a little coffee, not in the sanctuary. (laughs) Just come in, and before you know it, after you've awkwardly shaken hands with people you never met, something will start to happen. Because these people, they've come to meet someone. They've come to spend time with Jesus. And he's actually here. And the songs erupt, and the songs are a little different than the songs you've heard all week long. And the Bible gets read, but it it reads a little differently than it's read in the past. It feels like it means something to you, and before you know it, somehow you recognize, oh, my story, my story that brought me here today, my little story is part of a bigger story. 
My story is part of God's story. My story is part of the people of God. My life belongs to God's story. Friend, says Paul, this is for you. It is fulfilled for us. In Jesus, you get to be the people of God. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful for your call for bringing us together to be the household of God in Jesus. We know that solitude can be a gift, but that loneliness and isolation can be very dark and painful. So Lord, I pray for all those gathered here who've come seeking. I pray that knocking the door would be opened and seeking that they would find that you are here, that you have written their story, and that you're folding their story up into the glorious renown of the name of Jesus, the story of the kingdom of God. And Lord, open our hearts to call out to Jesus with joy that we get to be your people in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to our First Prez podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at first-prez.org.